Offside with Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from an apartment in Brooklyn and from my basement, Andrew Gundling, J.J. Devaney. What's it's up, really Mark? like Wayne's World, isn't it? We're just in our garage trying to make it happen. At least they were in the same, at least they were in the yeah, same room. True. Very true. God, I, I, I do miss it. We haven't talked about that in a while, but I really do truly miss being in the same room. I, I miss that. I miss the interaction. I miss the, the whole, the whole kind of, this is, this is not ideal, obviously, but it's, it's the best we can do. Yeah. At least we get to see each other. Yeah. It's video. Which is, which is, so, you know, that's yeah, that's pretty good. I'm really excited about this podcast though. Yeah, I know. My God. Uh, so much to talk about. The The Premier League is coming down to the final week, as we expected. Um, top four places, Europa League, relegation. like it, It's all on, with the exception of the title itself, which has been decided for months. Uh, so we'll try to get you up to speed with where things stand. Some teams still have played 36 games, so not everyone is caught up. Uh, there's a couple big ones tomorrow, but uh, we'll give you we'll give you the the refresher kind of on where we are heading into the final week. It's going to be unbelievable. Uh, and then La Liga has wrapped up. We haven't really talked much about it. Uh, Real Madrid are champions. Graham Hunter, who covers La Liga for so many years and does it so well, uh, he will join us to talk about not just Real Madrid's title, but even more so um, the weird state of flux that Barcelona appear to be in, which is. A strange thing to be saying about a club coming off back-to-back La Liga titles and still alive to possibly win a Champions League this year. But I don't know. It just feels it feels like something's up there. Uh, so we'll talk to Graham about that. Uh, MLS is back, continues. We're going to talk about the 6-2 triumph for LAFC and El Trafico. Uh, no Carlos Vela, but they seem to not really be having a hard time scoring goals. The same cannot necessarily be said for Atlanta United FC. They're playing as we speak. Um, and at this point, it's not going well. But by the time this podcast is out there, who knows what what could have happened? Um, and then JJ, I know you love the championship, but this club is championship no longer. Leeds United is coming back to the English top flight, so we're going to go in the club with Dan Moylan, host of the Square Ball Podcast, lifelong Leeds United supporter. Uh, we'll talk with him a little bit later on in the show about their triumphant return because I know, like last week, was it last week where you? You crushed poor Huddersfield. Like you, this guy who who like champions himself on sports being a meritocracy and you know things shouldn't just be handed to the big boys. And and then there you were basically scoffing at some of these other smaller clubs that have managed to to thrive through the muck of this uh, of the system that is slanted towards the heavyweights. It was very out of character. Well, I, and I, I should apologize to to Huddersfield fans. I don't have. I don't wish them or their club any specific harm, but I do like the idea of Leeds United being in the top flight the same way I feel Nottingham Forest should be in the top flight. These are teams of of amazing standing and, and support, and I think they the top league is better for them. Wow. These are frankly shocking. Well, if you had your way, the league would be closed and no one would be promoted. Everybody knows that... Where you are from? a venture capitalist. You are a hyper capitalist. You only believe in the eco- economics of, I would say, the economics of power. Those at the top, standing on the little guy. That is you, two to a T. 
You know, I should tell you that Huddersfield have won the same number of top flight titles that Leeds United have. Sure, brilliant, they all brilliant history, point. and and I do believe um, Huddersfield's manager, who went on to be the architect of of Arsenal right now, he was originally Huddersfield manager Herbert Chapman. So you know, it. I'm I'm quite happy to to say I made a mistake in picking on Huddersfield, but like if it was you, it'd be just like McDonald's. You'd buy franchises everywhere and set them up, and nobody would get into the top league except through that system. This is this is insane comments that you're making that I've never ever the said ramblings of a lunatic. All right. Uh, all right, let's get into it. A um, few games today. We'll go over some of them here to start off with first in the in the Premier League. Manchester City just absolutely hammer poor Watford, uh, dragging Watford right back into the thick of the relegation race. Four nil is the final. Uh, I don't really have much to say about Manchester City's performance other than to say that. Um, so, like uh, Raheem Sterling was great yet again. He's had another brilliant season, and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, uh, again, like I don't know. I think maybe this is the year, JJ. Every year I predict him as my player of the season. For I think for the last four years running, he's been my prediction. I wonder if this is the year where it actually comes true. I think that I don't this think could so. Be. I think what they're going to do is they're going to void the player of the year, just like they did the Ballon d'Or. I had a whole thing that I was going to say about. That well, hang on to it. Save it. Save it. All right. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about Watford because they are now on their fourth manager of the season, which in itself is just absolutely bonkers. Now, more news has kind of leaked out about Nigel Pearson being dismissed. Um, and you know that I am a believer of all rumors, no matter how ridiculous they may be. Uh, so there was a rumor, JJ, of a fight in the locker room involving Nigel Pearson at halftime of Watford's 3-1 defeat to West Ham. Now here's what Troy Deeney said about that on BN Sport. So the fact that he had to address it just shows the legs that this rumor uh, had. Um, He said, I just want to put out there, there was no fight at halftime. It's 2020. We don't do that anymore. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Uh, You know, certainly with all the cameras and everything, you'd certainly see a lot more if that was the case. The gaffer didn't put his hands on anybody. He was just frustrated and had a firm talking to. So no one was fighting. No one was punched. No one was right. even tickled. I don't know whatever way there was. No hands thrown. Let's just now, put that away. It's all right saying it's it's 2020. Let's let's put that aside. What a ridiculous notion. Robbie Musto was actively speculating on NBC. You know, Nigel, big Nigel. Maybe he said something. You know, maybe maybe he's done something. You know, alluding to the fact that this guy in his playing days was a hothead. And we call him Sy- Sergeant Pearson. Uh, you know, he he seems to be a guy who has a big interest in military history. Um, We've often referenced and made fun of his bizarre ostrich. Yeah, and, and look, we, we also had a story from our dear friend Craig Burley, how he chased Dimitri Karim, the Chelsea goalkeeper, into the locker room, and they had to lock a door to keep him from getting to him. But that's like 25, 30 years ago as a player. So... But even still, it, it was alluded to. Like, Troy Deeney can say what he wants. It was suggested by, you know, on national t- television in America that maybe Nigel's done something. Now, what we what we think we do know, Adam Crofton did great reporting at The Athletics. So, basically, this is the main points about Nigel Pearson being dismissed, according to The Athletic. Uh, the hierarchy had concerns over recent tactical decisions. Um, some players found out before Pearson himself which 
I was listening to Richie Sadler on a podcast and he said that the ex Millwall player, he said, that's not str- that strange when you consider the turnover of managers that the players, some players, senior pros might know because they're longer term fixtures at the club than the managers are. Um, tensions in recent meetings over future recruitment. Some players looking for a move due to the instability of the club. Pearson was surprised by the sacking and was relaxed with West Ham United counterparts on Friday night after the game. He couldn't have been as relaxed as his team were in that first half where they effectively oh. lost the game. I mean, they had a great second half. Kidding. They played well in the second half. But that first half was shocking. I think David Moyes was even shocked about how easy it was. Yeah, I should say, too, good for West Ham, who just as easily, with the way their restart began, could have easily found themselves in the sort of position that Watford do now. But back-to-back wins, they're not 100% safe, but it will take a, a, a small, uh, really a, a large disaster for them to uh, to not um, manage yeah, to stay and, up. And something we've criticized West Ham for is like their signings in the past, but their signings of Suchek in particular and Bowen and Mikel Antonio, who I know is a longer-term signing, but they, they still bought him from the championship. Those are probably three of their least sexy signings that have come up trumps for them in the recent weeks. Yeah, with regards to the Watford situation, look, it is it is flat-out embarrassing to have four managers in the span of one season. That is ridiculous. It should never happen. As for doing it now, I'm actually... Oh, no. I'm a little bit... Well, just hear me out for a sec. Look, it is... This is desperation time if you're Watford. Like they, they're, they're facing relegation, and then who knows what that means. If you know that this man will not be managing your club next season, he was, his contract was going to expire when this season did, um, and clearly he was not going to be coming back, and you think that firing him will rally the team in some way and give you that new manager bounce, then you know what? I say... You're a maniac. You are like, a maniac. Throw it up. Andrew... The, the reporting was that the players were not were behind him. And I read somewhere else that their form since he came in, if it was just if the table was just from when he got the job, would have them in like twelfth or thirteenth position. So that is the thing. They were bombed right. when he took over. He won he won seven games, including beating Liverpool. Um so like you're right, that all may be true. I'm not I we're not in the room. You're relying on the reporting, like do players like him? Do they not? I honestly right. don't know. But also, Andrew, you're also putting the faith of the next two games against Man City and Arsenal in the hands of an under-23s coach, Hayden Mullins. Come, come on. Like, I know what you're saying. Let's let's roll the dice. Let's, but I, I don't understand it. Now, what I do understand about the Pozzos and uh, Gio Pozzo, the owner, is that a manager works like this. There are no long-term plans. A manager wins and then he wins and then he stays in the job until he stops winning and then he's out. So managers are ultimately, they're, they're, they're disposable under the potzels. But I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing uh, it. And, it. And it has gotten truly interesting for Watford because I'm, I'm sure they were paying close attention following their match to Aston Villa versus Arsenal rooting hard for Arsenal, who came up quite small. What a win for Aston Villa. Uh, possibly Jack Grealish's last match at Villa Park. Sad. This was one of the games, JJ. Um, you know, this has happened in moments throughout this period with no fans in stadiums. But that game today was one where when it ended, 
and I saw Jack Grealish's reaction, the way he pumped his fist and just fell to the turf. It was kind of one of those moments w- where I was like, man, I, it hurt to not have fans at the ground for that one. I think the atmosphere would have been incredible at the end of that match. That was one where it was, it kind of almost made me sad. Like it got me like conscious again about how there were not yeah. fans there. Um, and, uh, but and just the noise at the whole end when Trezeguet scored. Can you imagine? Oh, now, yeah. Uh, just to, just to talk quickly about the game, Villa should have scored more. Equally, they could have given it away when that ball hit the post and somehow came back to Reina, and then he nearly slobbered it over the line. So, so look, right. when you see what happened against Everton, Villa in another sense were lucky to win the game. But they, but Arsenal, compared to the weekend's performance against Manchester City, were just a different Arsenal. And we can say Arsenal aren't fixed right now. And it makes me wonder, going into the final game, if we can say with any surety that, that uh, you know, they'll beat Watford. I don't know. No, they're ca- – I mean, they are really the definition – like in this country – in, with the NFL, what's the saying, JJ? Any given Sunday, anybody can beat anybody in the NFL. I think in the Premier League for a long time, we kind of thought that that wasn't necessarily true. The big clubs were going to beat up on the smaller clubs. But like this year in general has completely shown that that statement is that that, that idea is garbage, that anybody really can beat anybody. And Arsenal are really the, the living embodiment of that. They've lost 10 league matches this season. Uh, for a third consecutive season. That's the first time since a run of seven straight seasons where they lost 10 or more between 82 and 88. Um, They're going to finish below Spurs. That was guaranteed today. So I will smile at that. However, like I was wondering about it in terms of the Arsenal-Tottenham comparisons. Um, So if Tottenham finish above Arsenal in the league, but Arsenal win the FA Cup, would you would I trade with Arsenal for that? And sadly, the answer for me is yes, I would make that trade. Mainly because, like, if the idea is wanting to qualify for the Europa League, well, you still get to do that by winning the right. FA Cup. So, nah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I wanted to mention Jack Relish really quick again. What a game! Three chances created. That was the most in the match. Um, five interceptions, also the most in the match. He was asked afterwards about whether or not this might have been his last match at Villa Park, and he did not reject that idea. No, in um, fact, in kind of said, I'm not thinking about it right now. But yeah, it didn't. You know it didn't means. look or sound good. Um, and if, if Villa stayed, I, I I thought if Villa stayed up, that there was a chance he might stay another season. But I don't think so. I think he's looking at his uh, he's looking at his agent and thinking. Now is the time. I've I've brought them up. I've helped keep them up. I don't. I'm not really. I can leave in a good position with the club. Um, I think that yeah. would be his view, anyways. But himself and McGinn today were so good. I thought I thought McGinn yeah. was excellent. Um, but but Villa, all that money spent, and and Villa will will have to if they do manage to stay up, they're going to have to go out again, Andrew, and try and improve on this because. Wes Edens and the ownership are not going to want another season like the one just passed. No, certainly not. Now, here are the matches of consequence. Uh, All of these are Sunday at 11 a.m. Here's what you need to know um, coming up in terms of the relegation race. Arsenal will play Watford. Everton and Bournemouth, that at Goodison. West Ham will host Aston Villa. 
Um, the big thing today was not only the Watford defeat, but the swing in goal difference. The four, uh, the minus four today in losing four nil to Manchester City has now dragged Watford below Aston Villa. So Villa are currently safe. Uh, they're tied on points with Watford, but Villa hold a one goal difference going into the final day. Which is um, Ben Foster said in his aftermatch remarks was something he was warning his his teammates about months ago, and uh, it's come to pass now. He said that confidence is very low right now among the Watford. Club, but in classics, not what, not what you want to hear going into a a must win situation. On but the in final classic week. footballer post match speak, he said confidence is low, and then later he said, "But but hope is high. We can win." Okay. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. Arsenal are a weird opponent. Like, I don't know what to make of it. They are, we should say too, talking about the FA Cup, Arsenal are in the FA Cup final against Chelsea. Yes. Um, An all-London affair. Yeah, I feel uh, if we look at how Arsenal played, I thought Arsenal were, were brilliant. Like, literally brilliant. R- resolute in defence. Mustafi and Luis, um, well, Mustafi until he went off injured, had great games. I thought uh, Tierney was excellent. His ball over the top for Aubameyang for the second goal. Fantastic. Obama Yang, absolutely clinical. It was a great performance by Arsenal. And uh, on the flip side of that, Manchester United, not their full squad to start with, their full first 11 to start with. I've, I thought that was wrong. And more than that, we wit- we witnessed the continuing decline of David De-, De Gea in goal. And now the pressure is on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to make a decision as to what he wants to do with vital games coming up in the race for Champions League, does he now take the decision to drop his top wage earner at the club or one of the top wage earners, one of the top wage earners in football right now? I don't know. Is it too reactionary to say you have to drop him? Like, or is, his, is his current form at a level where it kind of outweighs his, his stature. Well, he, he's still capable of making like good saves. And he, you see, it's so strange in a game. You see him make it's these really good saves, these really good technical saves. And then you see the, the other things. Like he, he could have saved nearly every goal he could have saved at the weekend. Maybe I'll give him the exception of the last one. But the second goal, which was the crucial one, it was just dreadful, Andrew. And it's like, uh, I think ESPN FC tweeted out that since he let one through his legs, remember the Ronaldo goal, the the hat trick in Russia at the World Cup, that it's been a, a decline ever since then. And and honestly, it it really does feel it's it's no longer a blip. Now I'm not saying he can't fix it. He's certainly young enough. He's certainly talented enough. But how do you hit reset? How do you how do you start again? You're right. He might need a full off season to get his mind fresh. I mean, you would have thought maybe the the three plus months off could have served as that, but clearly it has not. He's, his form has only worsened. Uh, race for the top four coming down to the final day as well. Not a great situation for Leicester City. They lose three nil to Spurs. Pretty ugly performance for them. Um, Tottenham looked really good in the first half. This was, I mean, there's not a ton to say about it for Tottenham other than like remember that Harry Kane is still capable of doing this. He was incredible. In well, there's the game. more, there's a bit uh, more he's than been, he's been very good of late. His second goal that he scored yeah. in this game was, I mean, it looked like the goal he scored against Arsenal from an angle that, you know, you just shouldn't be doing that from and pinpoint accurate. The goal before that, he makes an 80 yard run. And then at the end of it still has the wherewithal to kind of just place it perfectly in the one spot where the ball needed to go. Uh, he's, 
he is still that good. Sometimes I don't I don't know what it is about him and why it feels like people are just quick to count him out. Maybe that's my own Tottenham fan insecurities on on the way people talk about my club. I, I don't know, but I do you get that feeling also like Paul Merson right away, oh, he can't succeed at this team anymore. He's got to go somewhere else. Like it's, it's people are just like very quick to move on from him and he's he's yeah. amazing this guy. I, I, I think Merson's criticism was more of a criticism of the system rather than Kane. But but people do go but I think because he was starting he always felt at Tottenham that he was starting in a disadvantaged position. He was the guy who was out on loan, who didn't really score a ton of goals at Millwall or at Norwich, and then came back and got in the team and scored goals for a season. And then, oh, he's a one-season wonder, and he's just kicked on from them. But that original doubt about him has never gone away. Um, I think I should admit that the 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 Jose doubters that I read, uh, Seb Stafford Bloor, people like that, thought that there was a much more coherent performance in this, um, that it was tactically better, and that attack. Don't tell me the JJ echo chamber is beginning. No, to I'm waver. not wavering at all. I don't see what they. And all your all your your fellow I don't, haters. It's, it's, don't. Why are you being a 14 year old child? Oh, you're just a hater. I'm going on what I see and what I watch in games. Well, whatever. I'm trying to give credit here, and you still can't stop chirping, flapping your gums. Um, yeah, he he thought he saw a more coherent attack and 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 a a better all round performance. Jose Mourinho said the same things. I remain unconvinced, but that's all there is to say about that game. Another bad. Well, Another there, bad day at the office for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I did want to say one thing about them. I mean, what's happening to Leicester, it, it's it's almost hard to watch. Um, and I guess it, it's – tell me if you think it's too sim- simplistic to say that, you know, injuries matter. Like, we, we talk about that all the time. And, you know, players and managers, they'll give you coach speak and say things like, you know, next man up. We can't use that as an excuse, but like, I really believe if if James Madison isn't available for you in these key games, that matters. Like him suddenly not being there is not an excuse. It's a reason. Uh, So like, and it's not just him, you know, Song Shu is out with, uh, due to the red cards and and like, it's not the same team that built up that lead prior to the Uh, break. Andrew, Uh, I, I agree with the, uh, I think they had enough quality players on the field to be better than they were minus a Madison, but they couldn't afford to be starting Wes Morgan in places uh, Sinoichu. They just couldn't. Couldn't do it. He, yeah, it was almost weird seeing him out there. I, I looked at it, I was like, yeah, what year is this? Was that I, Morgan? To be honest with you, did not know he was still at the club. He's 36 years of age. And um, not that I'm blaming him for, for anything that went on, but like... Just the way they were set up, they they always looked to be cut open very easily, and um, it wasn't good. It really wasn't. I mean, they were they were torn apart yeah, on the yeah. counter attack, and in terms of their own attack, it seemed like they really only had one truly good scoring chance, and it, it came on a brilliant piece of play from Iozzi Perez, who who chested it down and then volleyed it, and it was a great save yeah. from Hugo Lloris. But like, I don't. It was they're not the same team. Uh, we'll see if they can find it. They have one last chance. Here's here's. This situation heading into the final, well, there's still actually for a couple teams, two match days left. So Wednesday, there's a couple really important games. One o'clock, Manchester United and West Ham. And then at 3.15, Liverpool and Chelsea. That, by the way, the match where Liverpool will hoist the trophy. I saw the uh, picture 
from the cop end where they have the stage already set up. Um, Liverpool, however, JJ, will not be able to reach 100 points this season. I don't know if that... That uh, would be nice, but there we are. So that's how you're coping. Coping. And then yeah, coping. Start- <laughs> watching my watching the name of my club being engraved on the trophy. Yeah, coping. All right. Sad that it, yeah, go on, keep poking. Come on. Go on. Keep poking, little dicky. Still are, you're still mm-hmm. hurting. You just can't be pleased. Sunday, uh, eleven AM, Chelsea and Wolves, and then Leicester City and Manchester United with I mean, wh- just just unbelievable that that is the matchup. Um, I, I would like to just give what the situation is, but it's a little bit tricky being that certain teams still have games. Um, Leicester City right now are fourth, but only just. Uh, it's only on goals scored. Um, their game against Manchester United on the final day will probably be a winner-take-all for the final Champions League spot, although they might need to win by more than right. one goal. It still kind of remains to be seen. Um but it's it's all shaping up for what should be a thrilling final day. Again, one of those days where I'm sad there won't be fans in the stands because atmospheres around the, the, the league would have been unbelievable. But um, it will still be a, a joy to watch as this all comes to a, a conclusion. Um, that's our look at what's coming up for the Premier League uh, over the next few days as that season is ongoing. However, La Liga is not ongoing. That has concluded. And it has done so with Real Madrid being crowned champions for the first time in three years after back-to-back Barcelona titles. For more on all of that now, we're joined by Graham Hunter. You can read him, of course, at ESPN FC. We've had him on many times in the past, and we're thrilled to have him on again. Graham, what's up, man? How are you? Nice to talk to you, Andrew. Uh, so we'll talk about Real Madrid shortly, but I, I kind of want to start with and sort of focus on Barcelona. Uh, I feel like, you know, no offense to Real Madrid, but it, it just feels to me like Barcelona sort of end this season being the primary storyline and it's weird, Graham. I feel, I feel almost ridiculous saying this, given that Barcelona just won two titles in a row. They could still win the Champions League this year, but like, I don't know. Is it weird to feel like we're almost witnessing the end of an era? It's not weird. It's accurate. Um, I, I'm going to take exception to your journalistic line in that I think Real Madrid aren't just a story because they've won the title. I think the how the title has been won um, is intricate. I think it's fascinating. I think there are both really good human stories and and sporting stories, good sporting practice behind the way that you explain how Real Madrid have won only the ninth title um, since 1990. But if you want to separate out the two clubs and separate out the two ideas, and if you've got an audience that have enjoyed the way that Barcelona have played off and on, but but predominantly since Johan Cruyff took over at, at Camp Nou in 1988-89, because his era, then latterly parts of the Van Gaal era, Frank Reichardt's era, Pep Guardiola's era, Tito Villanova's era, Luis Enrique's era, and now this um, ragtag and bobtail bunch. Um, if people have enjoyed that, then end of era is what they're watching, yeah, hopefully, um, for the brand of football. The club is different. Uh, I'm not a Barcelona supporter, and therefore... What, I'm, what I will accept and agree with is that it's worrying if this brand of football that has been predominant in Europe, I think, since about 88, 89, is, is, is having an end of era moment. But other than that, the, the club, the club itself, separate that out from the philosophy of football that we enjoy so much here, the club itself is, is clawing at each other. <laughs> the component parts are not happy. They're pointing the finger of blame at each other. But, Andrew, Given the coverage I know that you 
the extent to Spanish football. Neither of you will be surprised about this. It's been coming. Graham, you, I heard you talk about cultural angst at Barcelona. That's something I thought I had when I was 15 years of age. But can you explain what you mean by that? There's, there seems to be, like you said, this kind of change happening and it's, it's causing great angst amongst the, the, the people who run the club. I think the people who run the, the club are, have got angst because they're self-centred and they're egotistical and they have believed for a long time that they, they know better and that they want a legacy. And when you have something established that's, it doesn't have to be in sport, when you have something established that's clever and it's proven and it's attractive and it's successful, and then people come along and go, yeah, but, you know, number one, that's all very well, but I know better, then they should get a dab in the nose. Now, unfortunately, the laws um, prevent that from happening. And I think that um, what's happened at, at Barcelona is we've had... Um, we've been witness to an era where really since uh, Sandra Rosé won the presidency in 2010, where first he and then his vice president, who's become president now, Joseph Bartomeu, kind of think that they know better, kind of think that um, following the concepts, returning to the Bible of football set up by Johan Cruyff and practiced by the people that I've talked about already in this broadcast, they they've not only ignored the central tenets, the central messages, they've undermined them. And if you do that for long enough, then when the the foot soldiers who've been born into this brand of football, by which I mean Gerard Piquet, Leo Messi, Busquets, Alba, latterly Suarez, because I think he understands the brand of football completely, partly because he's very intelligent, partly because he had a background at Ajax, they're staggering. If you, if you look at them as the, the the dying of the light, the ones who are raging against the dying of the light, then they've been able to keep the, the things alive that for Barca's fans mean they're winning trophies, but for neutrals mean that they're still attractive. It's still You're still watching beautiful, intelligent, cleverly crafted, systematic football. Now, at, at foot soldier level, these, these hard-nosed fighters might have got a little bit sated. That's not a crime. We see it in every sport. The crime is when those above don't renew, don't refresh, don't understand it, think they know better. And and that's where the central problem has come. It, it, if people say to you, it's the player's fault, then it, there may have been a dip in daily intensity from outlandishly intense to regular intense. And that's cost them because rumoured it had been good this season. The fault, the, the, the way in which things have gone wrong, the way in which you can point the finger and say, you knew that this w- was risky. You knew that you were ignoring good concepts. That, that finger of blame can be pointed squarely at those who run the club and latterly, particularly in the case of City and the current coach, those who run the technical side of the club because Kiki City and the current coach is, is not adequate. He isn't good enough to handle... The, the talents, the egos. His brand of football is very attractive. It was at Las Palmas. It was at Betis. He's a likable man. Good enough to help them rage against the dying of the light, to help manage these egos? No, not good enough. Graham, I'm, I'm curious, curious if you can elaborate on something that you said there with that response. 
with reference to like the establishment at Barcelona, you mentioned how they haven't just ignored the tenants of the club, but they've undermined them. Can you can you elaborate on that? What are some of the ways in which they've actually gone to those lengths? There are two there are two ways to to, to expand on it and and to maybe make people understand more clearly. I think there are a number of uh, whiplashes across the concepts, whiplashes across the Bible of how to how to ensure that the football is is, is Cruyff style, Barca style. But the key one is that when you are recruiting, it's absolutely vital that the criteria upon which you select are those which match the criteria of, I'll I'll say them again, Alba, Busquets, Suarez, Messi, Piquet. Because while the, I don't want to go the chicken in the farmyard with its head cut off, will still run around. But even though the maestro's, Tito Villanova has passed on, Pep Guardiola is somewhere else, Johan Cruyff has passed on, Luis Enrique is a Spain coach, I could go on. Even though the maestros are now no longer linked to the club, you're left with a a Praetorian guard, a hard core of footballers, who the board on one hand have renewed. Each of the people I've talked about, predominantly, Luis Suarez is coming towards the end of his deal, he's got one year left, so is Messi. But the the others that I've talked about, including Steg, and have long contracts. So that tells you that either the board has been too scared to address the the issue of sacred cows and say, one of you, two of you, three of you will be moved on so that we can refresh the squad. Now, if you're not doing that, then what you have to do in your recruitment is not look at the prettiest jewel in the window and go, I will have Coutinho. Not look at um, Dembele uh, and ask, is he, or investigate, is he ready personally for the stresses and strain of life at Camp Nou? Because as a footballer, he patently is. In terms of the simple act of how to keep yourself in good shape, how to report injuries, how to treat injuries, how to rehabilitate, he hasn't been, Coutinho hasn't had the mentality to be able to cope with it when they buy Griezmann. They patently don't have a plan for how to use him properly. They they use this 120 million World Cup Euro World Cup winning superstar in a position that he's unaccustomed to, that he doesn't know how to play very well, midway through the season away at A-bar, so we're talking, I guess, October, November, he plays inside, he plays off the, the two heroes, superheroes, Suarez and Messi. It works brilliantly, each of them a goal. Griezmann causes two assists, and and both Valverde, but latterly, really importantly, Setien, go no kid, like you're either on the bench or you're on the left wing, stay at the left wing. And it's only laterally when Messi comes to the coach and says, Griezmann's got to play next to Suarez and I'll play in behind them, a solution is found. So when I talk about um, um, ignoring the basic concepts, is if, if you want Griezmann, what for? If you want Coutinho, have you researched that he's able to handle the pressure of moving into a midfield where Xavi has gone and Iniesta is about to go and he's got to supply Messi? Because Messi, it isn't just about playing. Messi speaks a different language than everybody else. And not everybody can interpret it. Now, that's a known fact. And therefore, what you do to try and supply his dictionary is really important. And the the closing point, you asked, how how would I support my argument? At at youth level, the the way in which um, the the youth teams are um, scouted, who they let go... um, and, and this is not a fair um, – when you when you go for judgment on this, people have to remember that in 
when Barcelona were in the fourth division, Barca B were in the fourth division, and this this player, what was his name, Pep Guardiola, takes over, saying, "I know nothing. I've only got this chance because of my reputation. I'm starting from zero. I'm I'm literally a zero right now." Pedro and Sergio Busquets were being shown the door. They were being told that the futures lay elsewhere. One year on, they got promotion with Barca B. One year after that, they won the treble. One year after that, they were both in a starting World Cup winning side. So identifying youth talent is an imprecise art. It's easy to get wrong. You need a particular kind of vision and you need three bollocks, not just two. But over the time that this board has run the youth system at Football Club Barcelona, the criteria upon which they, they ask the team to play, which players they promote, how hard they're willing to keep certain players, has been under par, let's put it like that. There are footballers coming through, but it has been under par. And it, right now the team is, is playing to come up to a better level of football in the second division. That's where they need to be. It's crucial that the, the young players who make it all the way up to Barca be... Are, um, are are regularly age 16, 17, at maximum 18, playing in a brand of football that will test them and educate them and prepare them for first-team football. There's been a, there's been a retrograde retrograde step in, in, in terms of how those players are developed and what kind of player comes through. Is there a plan uh, for a post-Messi era no. in Barcelona? No, JJ, there isn't. No. And, and, and this is where my voice shouldn't sound critical because... How do you do that? Right. Succession planning, I think, in again, I, I, I don't mind reaching for comparisons. Succession planning is not easy in, in business, in industry, in, in government, um, in, our, in our business. And when you have somebody who's arguably the greatest of all time, and, and you know, pick a corner, take your fight about Maradona and Pele, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Once, once you're having that argument, you're talking about a genius. Now, if there were, if there had been a long, stable, like-minded regime, maybe a succession plan, uh, as as difficult as it is, could have been developed. It could have been talked through with Messi, but we're living in an era where Messi doesn't and hasn't had respect for his board for quite some time. There has been um, a turnover of of coaches of of late, and I would point out that Messi has said often enough that he wants to stay and finish his career at Barcelona that I think there's been a bit of complacency. Messi is now at 33 with one year left in his contract. In my view, completely legitimate to be looking around and assessing what do I want to do for the next big two, three years of my contract? Because touching wood now, hopefully, um, as they say here, injuries respect him. Because at 33, he remains an outrageously good footballer. I mean, he won the Ballon d'Or in November. There won't be a Ballon d'Or award in the next 12 months. But he has been Barcelona's most important footballer. He principally, Messi, not alone, not alone. He has kept Barcelona in touch with Real Madrid this season. And if there's some outside, weird outside chance of them winning the Champions League, and I think that is a weird concept, then it'll be down to Messi. It can't be down to anybody else. It, it has to be down to him. So the succession plan um, would be difficult, but it's made still it's made impossible by the fact that 
this current board, this president, they have to be out in 12 months' time at the latest. It's obligatory by the statutes that they've run through their term. They cannot stand again. And therefore, at the moment, I think there are a lot of people, how would I place it, how would I put it, um, scrabbling around for what they call legacy. And I don't think that any of the outgoing board has the cojones to say, we're not renewing Messi. And that's their legacy forever. Whether you want to argue that that might be a good idea and that lateral thinking is what needs to enter in now, fine. All, all, um, all logic is welcome in a healthy debate. But what's still more complicated is that in the elections that are going to come up next June, July, pandemics aside, the very great likelihood is that a candidate called Victor Font will win. He's a very much a Cruyff man, very much a Guardiola man. If he does win, his absolute target is to take Xavi back. And I think it's legitimate to ask if Xavi did come back in a year's time and when he um, when he renewed with his current club in Qatar, he, he, he bargained in a break clause in a year's time if Barcelona come in for him. So he's at least open to the idea if Xavi comes back. I, again, it's a legitimate question when he when he is is trying to paint on a new palette, when he's trying to do fresh things, as brilliant as Messi is. Does he want the last year, year and a half, two years of Leo Messi's career and Leo Messi's strength of personality? I think it's an open question. Uh, Graham, last, last one from me. And you mentioned success in planning. It seems like it applies to Real Madrid a little bit too, given what they just went through with Cristiano Ronaldo. And I, I imagine that this title is particularly important for them having done so in, in a post-Ronaldo reality. Is that kind of how they, they view the specialness of this? Um, no, it's, it's not being talked about like that. You're right that, it's, that it is still important that they can win a, a hotly contested title without Cristiano Ronaldo. And the stat that backs you up is that in the, 20, in the last 20 years, only three sides have won the title in Spain with fewer goals. That was Deportivo La Coruña in the year 2000, two years later, Valencia. Finally, the Capello team that Roman had won the league with in 2007, which means it's 13 years since any team won La Liga with as few goals. So that underlines that your point is correct, that the, with a goal machine gone, other things have had to go right for Roman to win this 34th title in their history. Part of that is that they defend really well right across the team. To say that this is a triumph for Courtois, who's the Zamora, the least scored against goalkeeper, and the back four would be would be inaccurate. They they definitely defend with an attitude that they didn't have last season, and, and I'll name them: um, Casemiro, Cruz, Modric, and to a much much lesser extent Valverde, are unrecognisable from last season. Now, whether that was mental fatigue, whether that was a little bit of lackadaisicalness, they'd have to answer you on that. This year. Um, defending starts from the front. They play a very high defensive line. They win the ball back higher up the pitch than anybody except for Abar. Casemiro is the player with the most robs of the ball, the most aerial duels won, the most tackles. Um, and and when you look at the 70 goals, it's largely been Benzema. But across the squad, I think 21 footballers have scored. So your point, and the only reason I said no, is that it, it is, it's now not being talked about as a, as a post-Ronaldo triumph. The, the microscope is on the parts of the team which have functioned and functioned well. So, for example, uh, Mondi at left-back has been significantly, I'd say, better than Marcelo. Marcelo is trusted and liked by Zidane because, particularly in an attacking sense, 
He's been something close to a genius since he joined. He's an extraordinary footballer. Mondi is pushing and pushing hard. Occasionally, when Melito's had to fit into central defence, he's done well. Courtois is unrecognisable. Carvajal stayed pretty much fit all season. The midfield has been absolutely sensational. Latterly, Hazard found fitness. Asensio came back and scored and made. There was the sound of things clicking, but that's because of one... Uh, Dupont, the French fitness coach, who's helped a lot too. Zidane is a player whisperer. He has a fantastic ability to talk to talk players and say, you you want this, don't you? You do, don't you? And I'm going to help you get it. Are we on? Oui. Defo. Claro. Si. Estamos. It's an extraordinary process. He's. He, I think he's a decent coach, but I think he's amongst the elite two or three anywhere right now in being able to Touch a great player on the shoulder and say, you can give more. And then he does. Brandon, it was a pleasure reading you throughout the course of this season and to put the finishing touches on the season with you on the podcast is a, is a pleasure as well. Thanks so much. We'll continue reading all your stuff uh, into the offseason too. Thanks, Graham. Enjoy your football, lads. Our thanks to Graham Hunter. Boy, it, I mean, I don't mean to downplay Real Madrid. Like this was this was a triumph for them to be able to do this. Graham talked about how it, they they went about it in a different way, not scoring the number of goals that you're accustomed to seeing, to more of an emphasis yeah. on defending. Um, but just like watching the trajectory of Barcelona and then seeing Real Madrid win a title in a year where their most important signing, Eden Hazard, by his own admittance, had one of the worst years of his career. Um, like you know, Real Madrid in attack were not what we know them to be and necessarily feel that they're capable of being um that if you're a barcelona supporter it feels like you're kind of at like this weird tricky crossroads right now and i don't know how you deal with it and as graham says don't expect to see messi going anywhere and by the way i don't even know if that would be the right answer is to say let's part from the guy who's probably still the best player in the world um i don't know i don't know what the right answers are right now for barcelona you wonder if they're going to make a run for neymar and just try to fix it by throwing him back into the lineup and and re you know reuniting him suarez and messi um i don't know i don't we have, have been answer. an erratic and weak team who can be beaten with enough intensity and enthusiasm we have a lot of points which we shouldn't have done and have been very inconsistent we need to be self critical starting with the players but also across the entire club we are Barcelona, and we are obliged to win every game. That says it. That says He's everything. Right. You can yeah. you can say this is a Real Madrid victory. It is indeed. But it's very much being treated in Catalonia as something that's been thrown away by weakness. Yep. Should be an interesting transfer window for them. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Let's come back now to the United States of America and Canada. And let's... Uh, Let's In one sentence, you fused our, Orlando. You fused the two nations. You're you're so careless. Well, MLS has teams from the United States. Yeah, but you created a new super state, the United States of America and Canada. Andrew, these are fraught political times. The last thing we need is you declaring an annexation of Canada. Wow. Well, we we call this land Amanada. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what happened the other night, JJ, in El Trafico. The Galaxy. So, like, they were up 1-0, and then they were up 2-1. Like, this wasn't supposed to go this way. Then, in the second half, so Diego Rossi, who was just, wow, what a performance by him, ties it uh, at the end of the first half in a huge goal. So it's 2-2, but then 
even at the start of the second half, you thought Christian Pavone right. had scored uh, until his goal was called back for offsides in the buildup. And like, what an unbelievable turning point that wound up being. Uh, because after that, you got the counterattacking goal from BWP, then another counterattacking goal from Diego Rossi to complete his hat trick. Um, and then after that, it seemed like that's when the Galaxy just kind of shut it down for the night and forgot that there was still but time then- on the clock. LFC remained just utterly relentless in the final 15 minutes. They got two more goals. Probably could have been worse. Uh, I don't know. The lack of fight from the Galaxy was kind of under. They were done after an hour. They, they really were. I, I couldn't believe fitness-wise how bad they were and how easily they were cut open. And look, that game, like you said, it was almost, you know, it was 2-2 at halftime. It was a fascinating game. You didn't think at halftime that there would be four goals between the teams by the end of the game. You just didn't. You didn't think they'd be hit for six. Um, but Andrew, the, the midfield and the centre backs just looked absolutely out on their feet by the middle of that second half. And I'm not making excuses. I, but I don't believe there's four goals difference between these two teams. Um, but there's something wrong with the Galaxy. I think as much as I don't think LAFC are perfect at centre back, I think there's a lot of teams in the league who are not that good defensively. I think it's particularly bad for the Galaxy. And organisationally, they're just all over the place. It's an interesting point that you make that saying you don't believe that the difference between these two is, is four goals like what we saw in this game. And look, ultimately four goals is a, is a huge margin. You're probably right. However, like, you know, and I know the galaxy were playing without DeSantos, without Chicharito, like they're missing guys too, but the best player in the league is Carlos Vela also not playing in this game for LAFC. And like the fact that they're still capable of putting six up without him, it goes to show that this is, this is not just some good team. Like when it comes to attack, you're right. We talked about it last week, and we'll, and you just talked about it again here. There are yeah. questions about LAFC in defense, a hundred percent. But to put six up without arguably your best attacking player, I mean, they are they are still scary good. Um, so you know, and, and putting three up in the match before coming from three one down against Houston Dynamo. So like nine goals through two games yeah. without Vela. Now I wanted to ask you something. Remember back. I say it like this was years ago, back when we previewed this tournament. And I asked the question as to whether or not a coach could actually lose his job with a bad showing here. And we no. both said no. Like the, the notion of that is crazy. Well, I saw this article yesterday from uh, Ian Quillen at Forbes. And the the headline of it said, is LA Galaxy boss Guillermo Barroscoletto on the hot seat? Here's some of what he wrote. I'll just read this to you. You can say, you know, jump in at any time. He wrote, it's not that the Galaxy lost, but how they lost. Wasting an excellent first half before collapsing in the second. And it's not just how they collapsed, but also Shaletto's lack of reaction to it. Using only one of his five substitutes amid oppressive Central Florida conditions before his team found itself trailing by three goals. And it's not only the nature of those decisions, but it's the greater context of a team that has earned exactly one point in its first four matches, despite having the league's highest paid player in Javier Chicharito Hernandez and one of the Western Hemisphere's most talented young prospects in Christian Pavone. Um, And then, JJ, in addition to that, how about this comment from the manager himself after the match about his team? He said, I think that... I think that defensive situation happened because the team gave up the battle and the fight. And we says, when he says the team, he means his own team. We can't do that. We have to play for 90 minutes. We can't give up before time. And that's what happened. 
And that's what generated a heap of spaces in our defense. That's quite an indictment on your team. Um, I'm not sure he's had long enough to work with the team. The idea that having uh, the most expensive player in MLS in Chicharito Hernandez is somehow even signing Hernandez that it was going to be, you know, going to make that much of a difference. Hernandez is, Hernandez is a fox in the box, Andrew. He's not a transformative player like his Latin. He's not a, a midfield dynamo, like name any of the ones that are, that you can think of. He's not that kind of player. I, I think it's too soon to be doing that. I think the conditions in the league, the conditioning of the players has to be factored in. They ran out of gas. They were competitive in that game till halftime. And um, no, I, I don't agree with the with our colleague from Forbes. No. Yeah. The comment about giving up. I don't like, look, you hate hearing that. Like that. Yeah. That, that. Now, the only thing, the, the, for me, I want, we've talked about this before. I am actually not someone who, when, a te- when I see a team give up, I am not necessarily somebody who is quick to say that that's the manager's fault. A lot of people believe that that is 100% a manager problem when his team uh, quits out there. I don't think that's true. I, I feel we've seen great teams with great managers have games where they give up in the last 15 minutes and leak, you know, another three goals like that. You know, that that is something that can happen to even the best of coaches in any sport. So I'm not I'm actually not going to overreact to that. Um, to me, that's not like there are some people who might see that and be like, that's it. He's lost the team. And also, He's got to go. I'm not. And also, not managers do need time and. And time isn't just one season or two. It might be three seasons before things click. And um, no, I'm not ready to do that yet. Yeah. Um, so, God, JJ, remember last week we were going through uh, our the mailbag and like we actually fielded a question about how the tournament like isn't producing goals. Like this thing has exploded yeah. to life. And, and I think it makes sense. You know, like that weird break oppressive heat like we just talked about in in orlando weird atmosphere like it was there was gonna be a slow burn but i think i don't even think it's fair to say a slow burn by by everyone's second game it seemed like goals were just flying in like we're back in terms of the style of play we're kind of just back to what we know mls Mm -hmm. to be certainly seems so yeah uh so kind of after that start like i want to talk now just anything that has kind of caught your eye um since we last recorded a week ago from I gotta be honest it's I didn't think I'd be saying this but Orlando City uh, they've won their group and they've looked good doing it a major question going into this tournament was about the manager Oscar Pereja and had he time to put a stamp on the side get them going get a team playing in his image watching them last night albeit it was a come from behind 1-1 draw I, I felt watching that as if they are playing in a real style they look very fluid, and I can see the stamp of the manager. Uh, João Moutinho was playing in a, a more advanced role, and he looked great. Nani, Andrew, the break probably served him best. He looked fresh. He seems to have assumed, assumed a leadership role. Mueller, Pereira looked really excellent. Um, I've liked what I've seen across three games from Pereira's uh, Orlando City Lions FC. Yeah, Um yeah, Mueller's been kind of one of the revelations of this tournament so far. Another young American player coming through. Uh, he's been really good. I think for me, and they're playing as we speak, uh, Columbus Crew have been eye-catching. Uh, they're up 1-0 right now at the half against Atlanta. Um, but, like, it's funny. Giassi Zardes. I'm Giassi sorry. Giassi Zardes. 
<laughs> he's a good player. All right. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Just because you don't play in Europe doesn't mean that you're a bum. Like, he's still a good player within the context of MLS. So, like, you know, people who are acting stunned that he's scoring goals and that his first touch isn't the same thing that they were making fun of five years his ago. His like, first touch is <laughs> not quite top class standard. <laughs> that is never going to get old for me. I love the, the Jossie's artist hymns. Um, so, like... Yeah, he's he's a good goal scorer right now in this league. Early returns on on Lucas Zellerian is that he looks like he's going to be an excellent signing. Again, early, but a couple of goals, a couple assists. One of the goals of the tournament so far, a good start. And then, J.J., there's Darlington Nagby. Um, Taylor Twelman profiled him last night during halftime of the Union-Orlando game. Um, he noted Frank DeBoer, who obviously has seen Darlington Nagby up close, DeBoer referring to him as MLS's Sergio Busquets. Uh, through two games, JJ, Nagby was 20 for 20 on forward passes, and he was passing overall at a rate of just over 97%. He has been absolutely brilliant in what he's being asked to do right now for Columbus. Um, I know you were going to talk a little bit later in the show about some of the comments Greg Berhalter made today. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'll steal one of those now because Bearhalter talked about Darling. All right, Nagby. just just ruin my segment. Fine. Well, you got other things. I mean, you can live if I if I just come on this and move it up to. The, I mean, how crazy that I'd want to mention that while we're talking about Darlington Nagby. Um, Greg Bearhalter kind of talked about how Nagby took himself out of the U.S. men's national team picture. His last appearance was that night against Trinidad in 2017, and then he's been invited back. He's been called back into the squad, and he. He has chosen to not go. He, apparently, he wants to be able to spend more time with his family. Not sure if he is up for, I guess, the rigors of also playing an international schedule um, and being away from his family more often. But um, Greg Berhalter said, like, if he is willing to recommit himself to the squad, there is an open door waiting for him and that the U.S. men's national team would be better off with him in it. And he conversely said that Darlington Nagby would may, be made a better player uh, should he take part as well. I hope he does. I like. I really think. I, I think so highly of this guy as a player, not just from these first couple games that we're seeing, but like, you know, say what you want about Frank DeBoer, that is really high praise uh, to say that about a guy. MLS is Sergio Busquets. So you know, I. It's going to be interesting to see if they can lure him back into the fold because I do think the U.S. men would be better off for it. He's he's been brilliant. He's, I'm a fan. He's such I'm a, a fan. Sergio Busquets that he didn't even try to keep him at Atlanta. He was the make weight to make sure they were under the salary cap. Hmm. It, it is weird how like this guy is so good. Every team he plays for, Portland, Atlanta, Columbus, and yet like why does he, why does he not stay with a team? My um my final point from uh, that really stood out to me from MLS's back is. Uh, well, apart from the fact that I think the San Jose Earthquakes, six goals in their last two games, Wando with two so far in the tournament, top in their group. Mateus Almeida saying a team that is growing game by game and collectively. That's very good. But I want to talk about Atlanta United, Andrew. It's not that Frank De Boer's side are losing in close games so much that they are really hard to watch right now. And they're a bit Frank De Boering. As Ale Moreno keeps pointing out on... Uh, Every time he's, it seems to be where he, he gets to discuss them, there's a lot of passing backwards, forwards, side to side, not much incisiveness. Only three shots on target against one of the worst MLS teams in that 1-0 defeat to FC Cincinnati. 
And, you know, you can say Joseph Martinez, yeah, but he's the focal point. He's the guy you're supposed to get the ball to. You still have Ezekiel Barco, Pity Martinez in the lineup. I was reading the Dirty South Soccer blog podcast website, and uh, they were talking about um, how Brad Guzan was the highest rated player in their player ratings for the second game running. Oh, God. We go, we go now live to Joe Girardi for comment. It's not what you want. Not what you wow. Yeah, I, I hate to yeah. torch Atlanta, but I just think they can be better than this, and, and they're hard to watch. Well, the only thing I would remind you is how they started last year. Like, for whatever reason, they under this manager, they seem to start slow. So, yeah, I'm not, not willing to fully judge them yet. However, you're not wrong in what you're saying. This So far, it hasn't been good. Um, Again, like I said, we're recording while they're playing, so we could be made to. They're winning at halftime. Um, no, they're not. They're losing. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. They're losing is what Columbus. They're losing Columbus is what I, I meant to say. Yeah. So, so they're right. They're uh, keeping in the trend of the previous games. One more thing for me, my secret favorite player. I wanted to oh, give him no. another shout out. Oh Jordan my god! Morris Seriously, you uh, He's. I love him. I love not how since Char- not since Charlie Austin has your love blossomed like this. Yeah, it is kind of like that. That's a good comparison. Um, he's because, but I feel like someone has to do this because he's never going to be that guy for some reason that gets the praise. Now, having said that, I do want to give a shout out to Matt Doyle from MLS Soccer who posted this on Twitter. Uh, armchair analyst, he wrote. Jordan Morris has leveled up yet again and is arguably the league's best winger, non-Carlos Vela edition. Across all competitions for club and country, he's now got 18 goals and 16 assists in his last 36 games. He's so, so much better than I thought he would be. I mean, what like what a number, the goals and assists total over 36 games. He is, he is impactful in every game in some way. So I'm such a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a Jordan Morris fanboy, and I want to give him a shout out because he just like that last game. He he just was in control, um, and he's now that he's like again fully healthy, and um, he's a great player. And that team is once again like they're always kind of sneaky under the radar, but they're they're experienced in this. Ladero, Rui Diaz, Morris, um, never count out Seattle. Your cup runneth over with Morris. I'm a fan. I'm just a fan. Uh, All right. We're going to take a very quick break, JJ. But when we come back, the return, the long-awaited return of Leeds United to the Premiership. We go in the club. Oh, yes. Back in the club to talk about Leeds and their return and what the people can expect when they come back. Dan Moylan, lifelong Leeds United supporter, host of the Square Ball podcast. He joins us next. Oh, back now, caught offside. We teased this before going to break, JJ. Um, I know you've been talking about this for a while, and it's funny because it's been 16 years since Leeds United have been a part of England's top flight, and yet you feel like most traditionalist fans will tell you that they're back where they belong. I know our next guest will echo that sentiment. We go in the club now with Dan Moylan, host of the Square Ball podcast and lifelong Leeds United supporter. Dan, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm great, thank you. What a weekend it's been. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I'm sure. So let's start with kind of what I was saying there, that this club leads top flight from 64 to 82, then again from 1990 to 2004, three-time league champions, won the league as recently as 1992, 
And, you know, this is an ESPN podcast. We're based in America. Much of our audience is American. While they they love and adore English football, they may be surprised to hear, I guess, how Leeds is perceived by some of their supporters and, and by English traditionalists as one of the country's truly big clubs. Can you kind of, I guess, explain that feeling to us and, and to some of the American fans that aren't as familiar with Leeds playing that sort of role? Yeah, I mean, I guess it goes back to Leeds as a city. It's a big city, sort of 800,000 population, one of the biggest financial centres outside London. But Leeds has never had that identity in the same way that like Liverpool or, say, Manchester has. You know, when you think of the Beatles or the the music scene that's come out of Manchester over the years. So Leeds has just kind of been there in the middle, but it's a really big fish and it kind of needs to be in this big pond. And there is a lot of history there and a lot of history that goes back to the 60s and 70s to our most famous manager, which was Don Reavy. And he uh, introduced a lot of things into Leeds United's game, professional things that you see uh, a lot of clubs doing now, like uh, giving dossiers to his players about opposition and things like that. At the time, it was seen as sort of bad form and they were a very physical team. Well, Leeds United, the, the press called them dirty leads. So there's a lot of history there that goes back to the media and the club being very, very unpopular. But it's always maintained its supporter base, and that's the crucial thing. Leeds will have a full stadium in the Premier League next year. The stadium's not big enough. Um, we can house about 38,000 at the minute. We need about 50 to 55, I think, before we uh, are going to start running out of tickets. It's a huge, huge club just waiting to get back to a level that it should have been at probably for a lot longer than it has over the last couple of decades. So, Dan, uh, can you explain to us what's happened in two years? Because this 16-year journey has had stops in League One. It's seen a lot of mediocre football. And in the past two years, it's all come together under this Svengali of Marcelo Bielsa. I mean, how has he done it? I wish I knew. I wish I could look inside that man's head and have an answer to that question. But here from the outside, you just see a genius, a maverick at work, who's taken a set of players who two years ago were oh, chugging to an awful finish under the previous boss. They looked like mediocre players and he's taken these mediocre players and made them into superstars and Premier League footballers. How he has done that, I've no idea. But whatever it is within his his method, his magic, he's managed to do it and he's transformed them into players who've... That I, can't, I can't explain until you see how Leeds played two years ago versus how they played now. The difference in quality is like night and day, and it's all down to that man. And whatever he's doing at the training ground, it's magic. Today's his birthday, by the way, yeah, uh, Bielsa. He's 65 today, so there you go. Shout out, Marcelo Bielsa. Um, yeah, um, Dan, he's he's the kind of guy that um, you're talking about his birthday there. He'll probably turn up in Morrison's to buy himself a cake or, or, or he, he seems to be a man of the people as well. I mean, there was that that video we saw from him outside his house in, in Weatherby. Like he he does seem to have connected with the fans, too. Yeah, you you've used the phrase I was going to reply to that question with, which is he's a man of the people. Uh, you know, a lot of his shtick and I call it, it's not a shtick. It's a lot of what he's about is. Um, being in tune with the fans. He understands so well how the fans feel and the relationship the fans have to the club, but also the city as well. And you you may recall the story, if not, it's a great one for your listeners, that on his first week at Thorpe Arch, when he first got there, not at the start of this season, but the one prior to this, his first very first week, he took the players all to one side and said, okay, I've asked the people at this club, um, how much is the average ticket price, which was let's say it calculated out at £30. And he'd worked out 
how long the average person had to work based on the average salary to earn a match ticket. And for whatever reason, the, the calculation came out at 90 minutes. So he said, you players are all going to spend the next 90 minutes um, tidying up the trash, the litter from around the training ground. So you understand what it's like for these fans to earn the money to come and see you play. And I think that, out of any example, tells you everything you need to know about Bielsa and his understanding of how the fans feel. Dan, I'm curious. I know you're not based here in the United States. Like we are, but were you a fan of the show Seinfeld? Are you familiar with that show? I am familiar with it, yes. I've never watched it extensively, but I know of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so there's a famous episode of that show called the Yada Yada episode where they kind of, the basis of the, of the episode is they take you from, from like a point A to a point B and skip over all of the insanity that happens in between by just saying yada yada. So for example, Leeds United went down in 2004, yada yada, they're coming back up next season. <laughs> and I'm at, what I'm asking you to do here could be a series of podcasts unto itself, but can you kind of help fill in the yada yada and talk oh, about the insanity of what has gone on at that club from then to now? I mean, how long is this show going to be? That's the question there. It, <laughs> it could go on for hours. It, it's probably a book in itself. Um, in short, so uh, Leeds gambled on the Champions League um, around 2000, 2001. Financially, there was a lot of money that was borrowed. It was before the huge, huge TV contracts that we see that are in place in English soccer now. And we couldn't afford to not be in the Champions League. It was an expensive gamble that backfired. So Leeds were left with this crazy deal where um, it would have cost them more to sell players than it would to keep them. And we were losing money hand over fist if we kept the players. Like I say, it's a complex story, but that sort of led us to where we are now. The gamble backfired. We were relegated from the top division. And from that point onwards, it's been a decade and a half of trying to fix that damage. We've always had owners who've come in and taken over and we've had a series of them, maybe four or five, who were always trying to repair the damage of the previous one, but somehow made it worse. Owners who never quite had the financial resources or the desire to undo that work. And what it needed was somebody of at least modest wealth to come in, fix the problems of the past, stop the madness, and just invest in the playing side of things. And very symbolically, for example, the stadium was sold to a private company that was in the British Virgin Islands or something like that, um, just to get enough cash in to keep the the club running um, when things started to go really, really bad uh, around 2005, six, And that was a great symbol of the club recovering was that coming back into the club's ownership. So Andrea Radrizani, who's the owner now, one of the first things that he did when he completed his takeover was to buy back the stadium. So there's a huge amount of symbolism attached to that. Somebody finally came in with the resources to do what was needed to fix the club. But some of the, I mean, some of the owners we've had, I mean, I I could hold my head in my hands with some of the stories of what's gone on at the club over the years. It is, it's at some of it's insane and you wouldn't believe it. Dan, um, a friend of mine is a diehard Leeds United supporter and he, he, he literally, he went up on the roof of his house. He lives in New Jersey now, went up into the roof of his house, bedecked in Leeds United gear and flags and, and just was singing songs after the promotion. Um, I hate to do this, but there's very there's very few clubs that I think of that could have got promoted. And yet there's a sense that I want to talk about the negative sides. Like he 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 constantly uh, tells me about, he says, you don't know the half of it with this club. What was the low point for you in those 16 years? What was the point maybe where you thought the Premier League couldn't be further from our from our thoughts? 
you'd have to say League One. So that happened in the summer of 2007. And like I say, this this cascade of bad managers had come in and we were shopping lower and lower down in the transfer market because the money wasn't in the club. And eventually we found ourselves in a really dysfunctional situation. Uh, bad manager, players who didn't want to play. Uh, so in the summer of 2007, we ended up finishing in the relegation places in the championship and dropping into League One. Against the backdrop there, the owner, Ken Bates, uh, then decided to put the club into administration, which I think is a little bit like uh, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the United States, where you get protection for the company. So it, it basically is given a, a form of protection from its creditors so it can keep going. They can figure out a way to sell it to somebody else who can then rescue it. I think that's the the parallel that I would draw with it. Um, and then, incredibly, from this administration process, Leeds United had already been docked 10 points uh, for doing that because it's part of the Football League rules that they want their clubs to be financially sustainable. Um, but because of the way that it was conducted, uh, we were then deducted another 15 points to start the next season in the third tier, League One. So we we got a total 25-point deduction in a matter of months. Jesus. And we came out of this process with the same owner, Ken Bates, that put us into this process somehow. I mean, it's probably not sensible to offer my opinion on how that happened, uh, but l- let's just say that the process was not viewed very well from the outside, how it was conducted. Uh, Dan, I'm curious. So you're back now into the, the Premier League. Um, obviously, morale is is at its peak. Do you feel like you're back? Like like I mentioned before, when Leeds have been up, they've been up for extended periods of time. Do you Do you feel like you're back for good or are you still a little bit worried or hesitant going into the upcoming season? I've got mixed feelings on it, you know, because you see the Premier League and I think the Premier League is at a time of relative weakness when you look at, at the big clubs like uh, Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea have all followed a similar route, similar route in that they've uh, brought in ex-players who are largely unproven. So I think there's maybe an opportunity there for an experienced coach like Bielsa who may be able to get a few crucial victories. And I think one thing you can say about Leeds is that they should be in the next couple of years, if we can stay up in the first year or two, in the top third of that division um, because of the size of the club, the fan base, the, the commercial opportunities that the club has got. So from that side of things, the top half, top third of the Premier League is a natural fit for Leeds United, but there's always that part of you thinks, are the players going to be good enough? Um, how much do we need to spend? You know, How much is it going to cost? Just to get promoted, we have to pay out £20 million in bonuses, maybe settle some old debts, that kind of thing. So do we have the financial clout? Do we have the talent on the pitch? I, so that heart and head are saying two different things. My gut feeling is that we should hopefully be able to get around halfway in the Premier League next year, all things being equal. But in this game, you just never know. And Leeds fans, have we've suffered over the last 15 years and we've had so many false dawns that, you know, you're never quite sure, you're never quite 100% confident that that's going to be the outcome. Dan, last one for me. Uh, one of the, one of the curious things um, about the last four or five days since Leeds have been promoted has been the outpouring of joy from opposition fans who clearly in the last 16 years have forgotten what Leeds United fans are like. How weird, it is, how weird is it to be on the end of that? I think a lot of that comes from Bielsa, but also there is a begrudging acceptance that the Premier League is probably a better place for Leeds, for having Leeds United in it. I think we don't 
deserve to be there until we've earned the right to be there. And we've finally done that now. But the Leeds fans travel in great numbers and love them or hate them. They make a lot of noise. They're very rowdy. And I think sometimes the Premier League finds itself a little bit stale. It's a great product. It's a great product. But a lot of the teams that are in there are hard to care about, whereas everybody's got an opinion about Leeds United. Uh, everyone does absolutely the damned United Dan listen the square ball I've um, I think it's rare that I've listened to so many episodes of a podcast that has very little to do with with the club I support but I've really enjoyed it and I would tell anybody who's got the uh, who's got the urge to learn more about Leeds to give you guys a listen oh thank you I appreciate that there are a lot of uh, silly voices on there and quite a bit of swearing so just be warned (laughs) good stuff (laughs) thanks Dan cheers yeah, that uh, that point I was trying to make to Dan there about uh, <laughs> everyone's so happy that Leeds are back and then you discover how horrible, fanat- fanatic, obsessive, loud and generally good their support is. It won't be long before they're not your favorite second team and when they're when they're coming to your ground and and they're and they're there's this thing, murder ball that they play in training. That's what they call it. Uh, I was listening to one of the Leeds players talk about it. And it's like a pressure square in which they have to get the ball back because Bielsa is all about pressing and relentless running. So when your team's been murder balled by Leeds United, we'll see how happy you are that they're back. Right. Or when Bielsa is spying on your team uh, from the bushes outside of the ground. <laughs> Yeah, that was I can't, him, right? Or that was one of was it him? Or he one had of a staffers? he had a member of staff there with uh, with binoculars outside the fence. Then then this the story grew wings. He had bolt wire cutters that he was trying to get into the. All this stuff happened. Wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Frank Lampard's Derby County? Frank Lampard's Boston? Derby County. Frank didn't take it too well yeah. at all. Uh, no, and Bielsa that. held a press conference where he showed, "Ha ha, you fools! I have dossiers on all of you." Like he has thick folders on everyone. There was a piece uh, Phil Hay did in The Athletic where they were about to play, I think, Charlton. And he had eight pages on Charlton's 18-year-old third-choice goalkeeper. Eight pages on him. And the guy hadn't played a minute of league football all season. Like stuff like that, I say, what are you trying to prove? No. Like we know you're great. Oh. We know you're smarter than everyone. You, you, you don't think that prove? this level of detail is the reason he's he's such a... A much va- vaunt. No, I actually, I actually think that is a, a waste of time. There's only a certain number of hours in the day to be doing your homework against the opponent. Spending that much time on the other on the other team's third keeper is you, a waste of time. You, you prefer the Jurgen Klinsmann method, where you you debut three at the back in the week of your showdown game against Mexico, and then during an injury break, your captain has to come over and ask you what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's much better. Mm-hmm. It is that way. No one can scout you. <laughs> no, it's good to have leads back though. Yeah, uh, that about wraps it up. We have a couple things left, though, before we close out. The, the One of the things I wanted to say, JJ, the Ballon d'Or. Um, so it was announced this week that they're not going to do it. And ultimately, it's not that I care that they decided to cancel it, because whatever, it's an award. But can we let's at least be honest here, that this feels like one of the all-time we-don't-feel-like-it decisions that I've ever seen. Because like their explanation, I have some of the explanation here as to why there will be no Ballon d'Or. It is one of the most self-important, ego-stroking explanations oh, that I've ever it's seen. It's absolutely grotesque. So here's some of what they say. Uh, there will be no addition in 2020 because it turns out after thoughtful consideration that all the conditions are not met. 
We believe that such a singular year cannot and should not be treated as an ordinary one, editor-in-chief of France Football, Pascal Ferre, said in a statement. From a sports perspective, two months, January and February, out of the 11 generally required to form an opinion and decide who should lift the trophies, represent far too little to gauge and judge, without forgetting that the other games were played, or will be played, in unordinary conditions, behind closed doors, with five replacements, Champions League's final eight played in a single game. Finally, the equity that prevails for this honorary title will not be warranted, especially when it comes to accounting and preparation. All the award seekers will not be in the same boat, some having seen their season cut short. Therefore, how can we establish a fair comparison to avoid overly convoluted calculations and projections we chose the least bad of the options? Oh, Stop. Such Stop. hand wringing, such garment rending. We didn't want to have to do this to deny the world our golden ball, but we're doing it. Ugh. Guys, it's not the no. It's not. You could have easily given it to Robert Lewandowski, walked away, and everybody would have been happy. Not everyone, but and it's an MVP Ugh. award. Like and to talk about the different, you know, the varying circumstances, everyone dealt with this. Every league except for the Belarusian league. And I, ha- I don't believe that there are any Belarusian players who are going to be up for this award. Every league was put on hold. Every league came back without fans and stands. Okay. So you, you want to say that France didn't return. So like, okay, great. Fine. Is that, is that in them not returning? Like, would that have changed votes about Neymar? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it's, it just felt like they didn't feel no, like they didn't. It. Uh, they didn't feel like the backlash or the questions that would have been asked about it. They could easily have done it. Um, can I do a Greg Bearhalter power minute? Of course. Can you always. give me dramatic music? Uh, All right. No. Well, what kind of operation do you think this is? What do you think I have like an electric guitar on me that I can just start playing? I don't know if you've noticed, JJ, but our open and close of the podcast, I've been playing it over my phone for the last four this... months. What do you think? Suddenly I can just like bust out. We are very low tech right now. Well, Greg had uh, spoke to the media at the MLS is back tournament today. And here are five or six bullet points that I took from his conversation. Dun, dun. Pulisic. This is on Pulisic. Uh, he's taken up more central positions, not just sideline. Great levels of trust from his Chelsea teammates. That's why he's successful right now. Dun, dun. Berhalter, looking at how players at MLS is back are dealing with adversity, noting good performances, but saying it's silly to say the stock of a player has risen or fallen during this period. Then, then, Darlington Nagby, the door remains open for him to change his mind about recommitting to international football, but he has to prove that's what he really wants in the event of a return. Then, then, think it's actually, Berhalter thinks it's actually exciting that Zach Steffen will get to work at Man City's environment. And, and, and the common consensus on that was it's not a good thing because he won't get as many minutes behind Ederson. Dun, dun, he thinks it's good that Josh Sargent experienced a relegation battle but bemoaned the service to the young Yank during the season at Werder Bremen. Dun, dun, Berhalter is confident that Io Akinola, Toronto's breakout star at the MLS Has Returned Cup, will commit his international future to the U.S. men's national team. Nigeria and Canada are other options for the young starlet. And finally, ding, ding, he, expect wor- he expects World Cup qualifying to begin in November and the October window will be used for friendlies. Ding, 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 ding. Was that supposed to be like some sort of law and order uh, transition? Uh, no, effect? dramatic mid-90s English news. 
This used to be the music for the BBC. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom. Like super dramatic. Speaking of super dramatic, JJ, a new team has been birthed into the world. It's come into the world in that favorite of places, the City of Angels. A 30-person ownership group is involved in bringing NWSL, Andrew, to Los Angeles. Um, here's some of the names. Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Joy Fawcett, Rachel Bueller, Bueller, Tisha Venturini-Hawk, Abby, I don't know who that is, Eva Longoria, Jennifer Garner, Jessica Chastain, venture capitalist Kara Nortman, you'd love her, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohananian. So, Alexis Ohanian, by the way, is married That's to Serena right. Williams. Yep. So, Angel City will join the league in 2022. I saw Natalie Portman was out there. Um, yeah, this is this is great. I mean, Los Angeles is such a soccer hotbed. You almost have to ask the question: Why was there not already a team there? But um, this is where we are. And so, congratulations to LA for getting an NWSL. And for team. those of you that have CBS All Access, the semifinals of the Challenge Cup 2020 in Utah, we've reached that point, Andrew. It's the uh, Portland Thorns and the Houston Dash. That is tomorrow at 12:30 p.m. Eastern, and at 10 p.m. Eastern, it's the the uh, Sky Blue versus Chicago Red Stars. So, there we go. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, by the way, before we get out, I want to tell you, I finally saw Hamilton. It's on Disney Plus. I watched oh, it yeah? the other night. Have you I seen it? I got tickets to it and went to it. Oh, so you you saw uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. What'd you think? Eh. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought it was very good. But you're such a yeah, history but buff. I and a hip-hop Don't aficionado. sing at me and don't rap at me. You know? It's... <laughs> So if more people don't join in, the song will get better. No, none of that for me. I like uh, I like straight down the line theater. Don't you understand, Andrew? The most important part of theater is that no song enters the fray. Hmm? Well, do you go to like concerts? Like oh, musical- love me, yeah, but that's music. Put music there. Over there, be music. Over here, be serious acting. So I've I've got to see, and never the two. No, shall never, meet. never. Uh, Bill Pullman. I saw him in To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. Uh, I and I saw uh, the wonderful whose name escapes me from Breaking Bad, Walter White. That's not his name. Um, I saw him in uh, the on Broadway as well. In what was it called? Network. Yes. Funny you mentioned uh, Bill Pullman because I've actually been petitioning him to do Independence Day the musical. I, no response. You know what? I would go see that. Okay, yeah. so there you go. Uh, hey, this was fun, man. Our, our thanks to Graham Hunter um, for joining us to talk about Barcelona and La Liga. Um, fascinating stuff. We'll see where Barcelona go from here. They are at a crossroads. Dan Moylan as well from the Square Ball Podcast. Congrats to him, lifelong Leeds United supporter, as they are back. In the Premier League, it should be fun. Fun times ahead. This this should be a fun week. Tomorrow, congratulations to you as you uh, hoist the trophy. I'm sure like as Liverpool are hoisting it, you've probably made your own trophy out of like aluminum foil that you're going to probably throw up in the air along with them. So it'll be a glorious day in your apartment. I look forward to all the, the confetti and pictures and, and all that. And then this weekend will be great. Sunday, 11 a.m., all the games. Go look online to see where they are. That's a lot of different places. 
Uh, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. Take See care. ya. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 